0: This is Help, I'm a Children's Pastor, episode 11. Hey, hey. Welcome to Help, I'm a Children's Pastor, where we're focusing on the needs of the Everyday Children's Minister. This is episode 11, brought to you the week of June 9th, 2012. I'm your host, my name is James Kennison, kids pastor at Suncoast Cathedral in beautiful St. Petersburg, Florida, and here it is, a Sunday afternoon, uh, and I'm recording. How'd you like that voice I did at the very beginning? I, I did that, and... and um, <laughs> it just it felt uber radio uber um uh, like a like a what do you call it a game show host and i'm like that instills a lot of confidence in folks that would want to listen to a show here you are looking for insight and input into the ministry uh devoted to children in your church and you're like hey you know you log on you hear hey welcome to children's Path. i'm going to help you yeah so anyway a little bit of comedy there to start us off. Hey, I want to start with some news and updates. wanted to tell you guys a little bit about what's going on in my world and invite you to do the same, by the way. You can email such things to com or help. I'm a children's pastor at gmail.com. Uh, or you could get on the Facebook. Just look up how I'm a children's pastor on Facebook and, uh, you know, like it, of course, and then post something. Let me know what's going on in your world in my world, we just graduated our fifth grade students last week had a promotion. I know some churches do it differently where they, um, they promote at the end of the summer. Uh, I like to do it right there at the beginning, um, because the kids enjoy it. The kids like to consider themselves, you know, in the next grade, the moment they walk out of that last day of second grade, they're not second graders anymore. I'm in third grade. So we do that. Now, we didn't do that with our preschool kids. We did not promote them for two reasons. One, our kindergartners typically have a little bit of a struggle in kids' church until they start going to kindergarten. Um, secondly, I'm going to be gone a lot this summer. Uh, got two weeks of camp and then a week of kids' camp behind that, and uh, that's pretty much most of June. I mean, sorry, July. So I wanted to give them uh, some consistency because we're going to have some people coming in and, uh, and, and doing service in my absence, so didn't want to bring them over and then disappear on them. Um, but what we do on graduation is pretty, pretty significant. Every, every year I like to send off our fifth graders into our middle school ministry with a bang. Um, very, you know, emotional, not emotional, I guess a meaningful service that ends up being emotional for some folks. Um, where we, we, uh, we always tell an epic story. We challenge the kids this year. We told the story of the one arm civil war, uh, hero, um, which I can't remember his name right now. (laughs) It's an wonderful preparation for the show. His name was John though. And he was the first guy, him and some guys to go through the grand Canyon, um, to chart it and to, to run it in boats. Um, this was done, you know, right after the civil war sometime, a one armed civil war veteran. And, uh, and, and the, the trick is the story goes that there were three guys about two days before this adventure was over. They gave up. Now, they didn't know. They didn't know how far into the canyon they were. They just know it lasted longer than they were supposed to. They know they'd lost some boats, um, and it was just too much for them. They gave up. They gave up on their dream and their goal, and they walked out of the canyon. And history never hears from these guys again. Two days later, John and his group, they make it to the end. They'd even left a boat for these guys in case they changed their mind. Um, they're two days out. They figure, you know what? We'll shoot a shotgun up in the air, and hopefully— Uh, flag these guys down, let them know, Hey, you know, we made it follow after us, you know, whatever, whatever. Um, again, nobody ever hears from these folks again, even with that shotgun blast, even with the boat left behind. And what I challenge my kids is that middle school's a test and are you going to make it? Are you going to give up before you get there? And the moment you're ready to give up the moment you think you've had enough and you can give up on your faith. Uh, that's, that's the moment you need to realize that you're almost done you're almost there don't give up are you gonna be a hero are you gonna make history are you gonna be forgotten by history and um, as the kids came up uh, we have a we have a uh a bridge that we put up where I have the youth department leadership on one side, me on the other, right in the middle, our, our new uh, shift middle school ministry leadership. And we pray for them at three phases as they go, each kid, as they go across the bridge. And, um, I, the first thing I do is I hand them a, a spent shotgun shell. And I say, you know, I'm get- depending on the student, I would either say, you know, you need to be the one firing that gun at the end of the, of the journey instead of hearing it. Or I would say, um, you know, I know you'll be the one. Um, you know, just de- you know, I just mix it up a little bit. But the point was um, t- challenging them and giving them something tangible that they can they can hold on to. Yeah, it's a spent shotgun shell from a worker of mine that that shoots skeet. Um, you know, seemingly purposeless. But uh, you know, when you're a kid and somebody gives you something. And it has meaning attached to it. It's a token. It's a it's something that's going to remind you. Of something they'll find that in their sock drawer two or three years from now, and uh, and it'll remind them about that journey, uh, that that historical event where these guys gave up right before the end and could have could have gone down in history, but were just absorbed by it. Um, one kid though, he blessed me. He looked right up in my face as I was giving him this, and I said, um, "I says I says you need to be, you know." Um, Oh, I can't remember exactly how it went down, but it was something in the event of he finished my sentence for me and just said, I will be, I will be that person. And, um, it, and I got no doubt about that. I got no doubt about it. He, he was not being prideful at all. It was just a heartfelt moment where he, you know, I said, you need to be the one winning at the end of this. You need to be one blowing off that shotgun, that, that, that celebratory, uh, you know, burst. And he says, I will be, and that was huge. It was huge. Parents were there. Um, you know, again, middle school ministry leadership, uh, my youth group leadership were there and, um, it was epic. It was awesome. If you want more information about how we do graduation, and why we do it so big, um, let me know. I've got several themes that I've used and I don't know that it's in any kind of shape to share outright, like me send you a package of things, you know, and all that. Um, but I would definitely be more than happy to share any, um, any ideas that I've come up with. Uh, some of them have aged I think and I wouldn't be able to use them again but um, you know with with uh, children's ministry you only have to really come up with about three or four different meaningful services and it sounds terrible but you know how it is you can reuse them and update them um, every three or four years so anyway I'm also getting ready to go I've um, been very excited about this uh, going to do southern Missouri's um, uh, AG assemblies we've got kids camp um, for the week of July ninth, and uh, and the f- following week, I don't know. I have the opening date for both of those. I guess it's the ninth through the thirteenth, and the sixteenth through the twentieth. But uh, very excited to do that. So if you are in that area and uh, you're going to camp, I-, I would love to shake your hand and get to know you, and uh, maybe we'll do a little interview. I'll be bringing my recorder uh, to see if I can get some interviews with some local children's pastors while we're out there in my old stomping grounds out there in southern Missouri. To this week, our topic um, was suggested to us by one of our listeners, and um, it's it's one that we haven't ever really hit on. We've talked about delegating to volunteers. We've talked about using volunteers, but a topic I've always tiptoed around is how to find and keep volunteers, and I'm going to be exactly, perfectly honest with you on why I've, I even had to go back and look, and uh, you know, I went through every podcast the last few that we've done, you know, the last 10 under the new name and then the, the 20 something previous to that. And we never talked about dedicating an entire show to how to find and keep volunteers. And I'll tell you why it's because I don't know. I'm not an expert at this. I struggle and always have to have enough volunteers. Is that honest enough for you? I have the same problem. Everybody else does. I, I, I'd like to even say that I've always had exactly what I've needed to get the job done. And I guess in a cosmic spiritual sense, I have. But there have been nights, my people, in, in my early days of ministry, in those first two or three years, where on Sunday nights, uh, I remember specifically just a patch of about two months, where we had to, or, <sighs> I hate to say it, I was showing movies. I was showing movies on Sunday night. Because I had two people, and I had 80 kids, and there wasn't anything to do with them. I, I couldn't be on stage because I had to be there to help with bathrooms and control stuff because me and two other people, I would have th- there would have been two people instead of me and two other people. You know what I'm saying? When you're on stage, you can't handle everything. You can't do the in and outs. You can't take care of security. You can't answer questions from parents and, and take the late kids and do check-in and all that stuff. Um, and, and I got... I got sick of it. I got sick to my stomach about it. And I finally it came one Sunday when I had two people and 80 kids. It was just me and my wife and 80 kids. And I, I had to. I walked them in to the main sanctuary and had them sit with their folks. I couldn't, in my conscience and, and otherwise, just principles, I, I couldn't do it again. I couldn't do this. And I made a promise to myself I'd never, I'd rather shut down the ministry. Um, and at that point, I don't know that it is a ministry. Anyway, I'd rather shut it down than keep the kids unsafe, and then and definitely than just babysitting and showing a movie um, when kids are supposed to be at church. I've never been much of a um, I've never been much of a recruiter. Okay, you listen to other shows or you you read books, and I and I I, co- I, I covet that. Ability to be a recruiter, um, but I think recruiting fits with a certain kind of personality, and maybe you have that personality. Maybe you're a salesman. You know that salesmany type A personality, where you can just go up to people and you can convince them that they need to be in your ministry, or you see something in them that you want, and and that's awesome if it works for you. I I I, I again, I don't, I'm not disrespecting that. Actually, I, I covet that in a good way. I wish I could be a better recruiter. But I have found, even in the times that I've tried in my now going on 13 years uh, in ministry, um, that when I recruit the, the people that I see great things in, the parents that I really want them to share what they've already got, I find that nine times out of nine, they are people that somebody else has already got to. There's someone that the school board has got to. There's someone... That uh, Boy Scouts has gotten to, that the soccer team has gotten to, that the pastor, the worship pastor, uh, the youth department has gotten to, and they are people that are already doing a hundred things because they are awesome, they are talented, and they are dedicated. And I have yet to find one of those people that I've recruited that stay for the long term. And here's why: this is my theory. First of all, I stink at it. Okay. I think with recruiting, a certain amount of it has to do with your personality. I truly, truly believe that because when you recruit, you're selling people on you more than the ministry because the ministry is the ministry, isn't it? It's the same at every church, no matter if it has a wonderful set and and a lot of money and a lot of other volunteers or whether it's a bus ministry with a bunch of rough kids. The ministry is still the same. Relatively speaking, your worst problems are your worst problems. The inner city church's worst problems are theirs. And whatever's the worst for you, no matter how good of a story it makes or whatever, it, it, you know, whether you got kids that are shooting each other or kids that are just uh, calling each other names in the bathroom, whatever your worst problem is is your worst problem. Okay, It's going to stress you out just as much and blah, blah, blah. Um, and I speak from both sides of that because I know. Uh, but... So your ministry is the same, no matter what it is. I, I really believe when you come back to it, that when you recruit, you're selling people on yourself, okay? And I don't have apparently that kind of personality. People don't love me enough to just want to hang out with me, okay? Secondly, I don't, I don't want to attract people that need that because I don't have enough energy half the time to keep myself going, much less to keep you going, you know what I'm saying? I need people that are already okay, that are already halfway decently put together. Um, so if you need a constant um, rush from me to to do ministry, you're not going to get that. Okay? That's not where I'm wired. Okay? So that's the one reason why recruitment um, doesn't work. The other one, or for me, um, the other one is that I find that if I have to recruit you, that's borderline, you know, begging <laughs> and asking, um, it kind of sets me up to fail sometimes because I have asked you to be there. I convinced you to be there. And then now I have to, sometimes I find continue to ask you to be there and convince you to be there. You know what I mean? I don't see the same dedication, um, from someone that, that I recruit versus the dedication, someone that, that comes to me. Okay, And I guess you see what I'm getting at. Let me read something to you to give you some biblical justification because all I've heard about, all I've heard about all my years about getting volunteers is recruiting. And I do do believe in it. And I want to talk about it. I'm going to revisit it in a minute. But I really want to challenge you guys with something else. Uh, Matthew 9, verses 35 through 38, Jesus went through the towns and villages, teaching in their synagogues preaching the good news of the kingdom and healing every disease and sickness. And when he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless without sheep, I'm sorry, like sheep without a shepherd. And he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. And then my favorite part, he says, uh, ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers to his harvest field. Okay? Okay. Uh, let me read that last bit. He said to his disciples, um, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers to his harvest field. Whose harvest field is it? Uh, well, but let me back up. Our ministry is the harvest field, okay? Whose harvest did it, is it? It is is. It is the Lord's. Pray the Lord of the harvest. It's God's harvest field. These are his, he's the one that reaps. okay. It's not yours, and it's not mine. It's God's. It's His ministry. It's up to us to work the field. It's up to us to weed the field. It's up to us to do a lot of stuff with His power. But at the end of the day, we are working for the Lord. It is His. Those children are His. You have to believe that He loves them and wants them to come to Him more than we ever could. Simple thing to believe, but you've got to apply it in this situation especially if you're hard up for workers, if you need people now, this is your message, okay? This is for you. It is God's job to send you workers. Does that mean you can't do anything? No, absolutely not. I'm not saying that at all. I'm saying that it is his harvest field, and even Jesus himself had worker issues, okay? That's the second thing I want to hit you with. Jesus himself, this story right here, this little bit of a story, says that when he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them. They were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. You know why? Because he couldn't do it all. But he was Jesus. Yeah, but he was Jesus with the with the limitations of human skin and human abilities. Cloning and all this is not possible. He had the same limitations you do, children's pastor, children's minister, He couldn't do it all. And he said this, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. So you're in good company, children's pastor. You're in good company because Jesus had worker issues too. But notice, he didn't get bitter. He wasn't angry. He turned to two things. First of all, he had compassion. He had compassion, he didn't have anger toward parents who wouldn't help. He didn't have anger toward the uh, the uh, choir because they have an easy job, even though it's not as easy as you think. He didn't have anger toward all to his current workers because um, he was taking things out on them. No, he didn't do that. He had compassion on the people that, whose needs weren't met. And that's what I'm trying to let God do in me. I'm in a place right now where this strikes home because I've got, Great workers, every single place except for where I do a majority of my one-on-one ministry, which is in Kid City and my children's church. We've we've lost a lot of people, and it's been for the best reasons in the world. Giving people away to to start up churches, uh, giving people away to other churches and places where God has called them. Where I know for a fact, I mean, we still keep in touch. We're still mentoring and blah blah blah. So it's not you know, it's not that they're running away from me even though that's a lie Satan's tried to tell me. We're in a place where we're really low right now in workers. And here's what I'm holding on to. I'm holding on to this truth that Jesus says. He says he's moved with compassion. He had compassion on these people. I look at my ministry and I don't get bitter about where we could be and what we could be doing. I have to turn that into compassion. Not feeling sorry for these kids, but realizing that there could be more done. It's a proper way to let the angst and the concern and the issues out. It's what Jesus did. Because I have a thing, whenever I have a compassion or a care, I turn it into a prayer. I have to. It's not just a trite statement. Every care into a prayer, man. So he had compassion on his people. And I'm, and I'm trying to do that too. I want to really encourage my kids. I'm going to start including them in my prayers for people to come, to come to work. God, I believe that this is your harvest field. I believe that every single person that we need in this ministry is already in this church. They're here. And God, I also believe that you are calling them and working on them and getting them ready. And And I believe that the prayers of my children, the kids that I have, will go a long way to helping that out. So anyway, point being, you were moved in compassion. And then he says um, that you have to ask the Lord of the harvest to send forth labors of the harvest field. Let me just say this. Do not ever, ever underestimate the power of prayer when it comes to getting workers for your children's ministry. Don't ever stop praying. Even if you're Filled to the brim, you know, and I know if you've been there for any amount of time, you're two Sundays away, maybe even one Sunday away from needing people bad. All it takes is one lost loved one. All it takes is a bit of illness in a family. All it takes is one person getting mad at somebody else at your church. And if it's a family working with you, good Lord, hang it up. Because if that one person in that family gets upset, the whole family's leaving. And all of a sudden you're dried up and gone. Well, I got teen leaders. Yeah, you got them for three years. I got young adult leaders. Yeah, until they get married. Okay, so everybody got worker issues, no matter what it looks like on the piece of paper where all your job descriptions are right now or not. If it's full, great, awesome power to you. But you need to be praying for God to give you these people. Pray to the Lord of the harvest to send forth laborers. Here's another reason why. Here's my main reason why. The people I recruit, I have to continue recruiting. But the people God sends me Stay. Because God called them to it. He made it a, a, a part of them. He's given them the passion to do what he's called them to do, and they stick with it. They're not the people I have to call and ask them if they're going to be there. I don't have to look at the clock and wait, are they going to come on time? The people that God sends me, they keep coming, and they're, they're there for the right reason, for proper motivation. And are they perfect? No, not a one. But neither is their children's pastor. So it's okay. Works out. Works out. Anyway, all I, want, I want to give you a few other tips. So my first tip for, for that, obviously, is pray, 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 pray. Pray, 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 pray. Never underestimate the power of prayer. Another thing I'll tell you, God told me at the beginning of the year, and I've done, I've done really good with this and I could be better. He told me, get to know people you have no business knowing at your church. Get to know people you have no business knowing. Here's the other downfall for recruitment. If you are always got hungry eyes when you look at people, they will run away from you. Meaning, if you're recruiting 24-7, and every friend you make and every contact you make um, is going to be somehow influenced by that, and people are going to know that salesman tactic from a mile away, and they're going to want to not talk to you because... Um, They know if they get to know you for more than five seconds, you're going to be hitting them up about children's ministry. So I took what God told me for two things. One, he wanted me to get outside of my circles. He wanted me to get outside of just people that I knew in children's ministry. He wanted me to get involved in men's ministry. He wanted me to get involved in small groups. He wanted me to go to events that had nothing to do with benefiting me or my children's department. And so I did that. Get to know people you have no business knowing. The other thing he wanted me to do was stop eyeballing people and looking at them for what they could do for me. That's not what a pastor's heart is supposed to be anyway. It's supposed to be what can, you know, God do through me for you. So uh, anyway, so get to know people you have no business knowing. The other thing I would do is say, give honor to who honor is due. It's so awesome to love on people that work for you. And if, I don't know, I always have struggled with this. If there's an area that I, I really stink at, it's the hospitality side of things. Remembering birthdays and anniversaries and, and just loving on people in that way. It's not my strong suit. Um, And so when I do it, people really appreciate it. But I don't always remember. If it's not my calendar, for instance, I'm not, you know, I'm just not going to remember. And then it's funny is even when I see it coming in the calendar – if I can't think of the right thing to do, I won't do anything. And that's terrible. Oh, it's terrible. It's terrible, but it's where I'm at. So here's what I want to tell you. Your sentiment doesn't have to be perfect. It matters more that you've done something than what the something was. You understand what I'm saying? Um, Christmas presents at my last church. I wanted to give Christmas presents to my workers, but you know what? I had 130 people. I couldn't afford a whole lot in my budget. And I never did anything because I couldn't find something. I felt like if I couldn't do what I wanted to do, which was something expensive and nice that would impress them and make them feel loved, then I wouldn't do anything. And that's just the perfectionism in me, really. And so here at, at my new church, there's been a tradition forever, and it and it's meaningful to people, and it's silly, but it's so simple. It's, we, we buy a bunch of uh, Chick-fil-A calendars. And we give them out to all our people. And they love it. They get to eat Chick-fil-A all year for free because of these calendars. And this is something that was established by my predecessor and the predecessor before him. And I'm I'm loving it, you know? And, and and there's a part of me that says, Well, James, it's just tradition and and it's not even your idea. How but the people love it. So again, the sentiment may not be perfect, meaning you may not be hitting everybody where they live, but it's gonna mean more that you tried. Than if you do nothing. Now, with the exception of some things, I'll I'll tell you one time, one Sunday, or I'm sorry, one uh, Christmas, um, we got something as the pastors on staff um, that was uh, it was it was just not good. Okay, I'll just tell you, you could tell that it was something that was given free when somebody bought about 15 of something else. Okay, Uh, it was it was like a tote bag that was very cheap. And again, like I said, you could tell they weren't purchased for us. It was something somebody had in a closet that they said, you know, we got 15 of these things. I got them free when I bought something, something. Let's give that to them. And in that year, I would have rather have gotten a nice handwritten note <laughs> or something, um, or a cup of coffee or whatever, than free, you know, tote bags. Uh, because that, that is just when you know that you know that it's not worth anything. That's one thing. But you know, with the calendars, man, we go out and we spend money on them. We have to pick them up. We pass them out. We write a little note with each one. It's huge and it's nothing. I mean, it's so simple, but it's, it's meaningful. So, uh, if you're, if you're like me and you get hung up on everything, having to be perfect and right and awesome, may, you know, then, then do something. Something is better than nothing. All right. Um, I'll tell you, hand in hand with that is creating an enjoyable experience for your existing leaders will attract more. If your existing leaders are happy and thrilled and they love what they're doing, they will attract other people to them. Now, if your workers are all burnt out and hurting and crying and whining and complaining and all that, who's going to want to come work with that person? Best thing you can do is pray for God to heal them, to bring them up or to uh, get them on their way so that God can fill that position. But I'm in a position now where I've got folks that really love what they're doing. Um, they don't love it as much as they should. So we're working on that. We're, we're really, and, and, and you're talking about recruiting. As much as I stink at selling myself on that end, God's really helping me and my personality to come to a place where I can visit classrooms, talk up to teachers, help them, become friends with them, connect with them, um, and lead them. And this is something that's kind of new for me because I'm at a smaller church now, and I can I can do that. Um, recruiting people, I've said it isn't my thing, but attracting people is. I I do seem to attract certain people to me and to the ministry as a whole, and I believe those are the ones God is God is sending me. Okay. Um, here's another thing I want to suggest you. Well, and, and, and let me just keep going with that. Um, there are going to be certain kind of people that God attracts to you, that, you know, your personality and the creativity that you have, the certain unique set of skills. Don't be afraid to put those people to work. They are not going to be the people that you imagine them being. They're going to come out of the woodwork. They're going to be people that aren't perfect, that maybe aren't exactly what you would want them to be, but use them. Don't turn anybody down unless they flat out, you know, smell funny or have a drug problem. Um, And, you know, obviously background checks and screenings and all that kind of stuff. But God's going to send you people Um, and you, and you need to use them if at all possible. Um, I would say this too is make, I'll just read it the way it is off the page. I'm trying to find a better way to say it, but it's right here. Give people 100 entry level positions, give people at least a hundred different, and I'm being just random there, even if it's five entry level positions, but the more entry level positions you can give somebody the better. Because nobody wants to come in really, and be a Sunday school teacher. They want to be an assistant Sunday school teacher. They want an entry level position. I don't know how to get up on stage and take offering, but I would I would come and help you with check in. Give everybody, man, make a list. Here are 100 things, 50 things, 25 things you can do in kids' church next week if you you know after you're screened and all this. Here's 100 things. Because I don't know about you, but I get nervous when people come up to me and they want to be teaching Sunday school. You know what I'm saying? Because uh, that, I'm like, hmm, I don't know you from Adam, and God told you yesterday you're going to teach Sunday school? Hmm, I don't know. But the people that are timid, the people that God's been working on, the ones that have been arguing with him and saying, God, I don't know anything about kids. I don't even like kids. And God's hitting on them, hitting on them in Sunday. You need to be back there with Pastor James. You need to be back there, back there. I believe that's going on right now in my church. And when those people come to me and ask me what I need, I, I don't need to hit them with everything I truly need because I need small group leadership. I need people that can do characters and puppets. I need folks that can create videos for me and help me uh, with curriculum. I need folks that are on call you know, 24-7 on Sundays to, to help fill in for Sunday school teachers. And I need um, I need a lot of stuff, but I can't hit them with that. That's going to scare them off. But if I could say, you know what? I need some people that I can train to do check-in. I need some folks at the door. I need people to hand out prizes. I need folks to assist existing Sunday school teachers. That's easy. It's also a good place to start folks so they can get a taste of it, see if they want to continue or not. So give people 100 entry-level positions. Here's another thing. For the uncommitted in your church, give people 100 one-time positions. A good way to catch people, if you're not a recruiter, is to throw out a net. Through an event, and see if you keep anybody. You know your your Halloween outreaches and your son, your your uh, you know giveaways or your your bus ministries or whatever. Create events that people can just commit to for that one time. Parents can get involved at one time. They get a taste of what you do. They get to get, get to know you um, off the stage a little bit. Get people the chance to get to know you. Give God a chance to get them hooked on what they're doing. Here's the last one and the most important one that I'll give you about, about volunteering. You notice how much this has to do about with us <laughs> and so much less to do with your church? It's all stuff that we can do on our end. You know why? Because you can't change your church. You can't change God's decisions on on what when he wants to send you and who he wants to send you. But you can sure enough work on you while you wait. And here's here's a thing to do while you're waiting on the Lord. Don't whine. Don't complain. Don't get bitter. Don't have an attitude. Okay? This just falls in the basic obedience unto God thing. If you're praying for Him to send you people, and you better be. If you're begging and pleading with Him, praying to the Lord of the harvest to send you laborers, then I hope you're not complaining. I hope you're not bitter. Because my friends... God has given you every single resource you currently have. And he has given you every single person you currently have. And if you are complaining, then you are not being a faithful steward over what he has given you. It's like a child at dinnertime where his mom gives him a, a, a helping of some sort of food. I'm hungrier than this. I want more. And you haven't even eaten what's on your plate. That's what you sound like. You sound like a brat. And I'm talking to myself, too. So I'll say we sound like brats. I have my days just like anybody else. But don't complain. Don't whine. Be thankful for what you have. Do what you do as into the Lord. This morning, I walked into kids' church, and all my chairs were set up wrong. Somebody will, really, really went out of their way to set them up, and I appreciate that. I really do. But they put it in exactly the wrong place. I was the only one there. And, man, I wanted to get bitter, and I wanted to get upset. And I said, you know what? So I started putting the chairs where they were supposed to be and straighten them up and all that. And I'm, and I'm thinking, I'm thinking I'm doing good. But inside my heart, I could feel something stirring. I was angry. And I was like, what good is it for me to do this all by myself as a servant? You know, that's not enough. I've got to have the right attitude. I can't sit here and do this and feel this way. And I said, God, help me. Help me to get rid of this. What can I do? What mindset should I have? And boom, it hit me. Do it as unto the Lord. And suddenly I, I realized I wasn't doing this because somebody did it wrong. I wasn't doing this uh, because I was a great person. I wasn't doing it to try to prove to myself that I could obey God. I was doing it because Jesus wanted me to. I was doing it because he would be honored by it. I would do it because if I did it, kids would be a little bit closer to the stage and they wouldn't be looking all crooked. (laughs) And they would be able to focus more on what the word was that God had for them that day. And man, right then and there, boom, my attitude changed. And I kid you not, like a storybook the door opened and the two other volunteers that I have on a Sunday walked through and we finished those seats in no time. Now, I'm not, I don't know if I hadn't changed my attitude, would God have postponed them and and, and made them not even show up until after I was done? Probably. I, I don't know. Okay. I don't know. But I'm going to tell you the moment I got my attitude straight to the dime, those folks walked in and, um, and it was like God saying, good, you did good. You did good kid. And I appreciate that because, you know, sometimes those moments are hard to come by. And I'll tell you, though, if, if uh, you become a whiner, if you become somebody that's complaining or have an attitude or you're bitter, um, God's going to wait until you have the right attitude. He's going to wait till you're happy and thrilled and pleased and you're using what you have to the best of your abilities. Because um, he just will. And remember that little bit I said earlier about how he, you attract people? to you, a certain type of person, typically you attract the people that are like you. And if you're a complainer and a whiner, if that's the way you are for your leadership and they have to deal with that, what kind of people do you think are going to be attracted to you? So spend some time in prayer, turn every care into a prayer, every worry, because those feelings are going to come. That bitterness is going to be there, but you need to turn it in and you need to say, God, I'm doing this for you. I'm not doing it for the parents. I'm not even doing it for the kids. I'm not doing it for anybody. I'm not definitely not doing it for myself. I'm doing it for you. Let me close this out. I think it's a story I've told before, but I've only done two shows since like January of this year. So it bears repeating. I was walking out in my last church. I was walking out. I was the last one out. And again, I was walking in my car and I was mad about it. I was mad about that. You know, I don't ever get to talk to anybody. My, parent, my sorry, My kids and my wife had already left. You know, and they were having lunch, and I was carrying too much stuff and two little arms, and uh, I was going to the car, and God just hit me with something. It was this image of me 20 years later, 30 years later, old man making that same walk from that same church, and somebody younger looking and says, "You know what, Pastor James, he's been the last one to leave every Sunday for 30 years." And God said this, plain as day in my mind. He says, you will destroy your legacy if you're bitter about it. And he was so right. Oh my gosh, doesn't that hit like a ton of bricks? Nobody's going to care about your sacrifice if you hated it, if you hated making it. And when we get that way, it's because we're imagining, we're thinking about all the people that got to leave early. We're thinking about the choir members that don't have to stay, that they can leave after they're done singing for that matter. We're thinking about everything else except for who we're really doing it for. We're thinking about parents who picked up their kids too late. We're thinking about all these terrible things and we've forgotten who we do it for. It's for the Lord and he will never leave you. He will never take you for granted. He will never forget about you or forsake you. Oh, goodness. But he wasn't done on that trip to the car (laughs) before I even got over to the dumb car. Halfway through the road, the second lesson was hit me right square between the eyes. And he says, if I never give you another worker, if I never give you a bigger budget, if I never give you any more pastoral support, if I never, if I never. He just went through the list of everything that I wished I'd had. If I never do another thing for you, will you still do what I've called you to do? And right then, with tears in my eyes, I had to say, yes, Lord, I will. And by God, that's the same promise I make to him now. And maybe the same promise we should all make. Because somehow we get in our heads that God owes us something. But you know what? He loves you more than what you can do for him. Because honestly, what we do for him is not very much. It's mostly him, it's mostly what he gives, what he provides the the making up the difference in us. so what does he owe us? He owes us nothing, anything above burning in hell's a privilege to be quite honest, and calling you to ministry that's just oh, that's above and beyond he's he you know he gives everybody a certain amount of talents, a certain amount of of resources. Are we being faithful with him? And can we still do what he's called us to do, even if he never did anything? The answer has to be yes. What else could it be? No, God, I'm not going to do anything unless you you give me more. And it's changed the way I pray, because I'm like, I, I always have to start my prayers with thanksgiving for what I do have. And I call people out by name. Thank you, God, for Jewel Kessie, who is there every Sunday, who without I couldn't do children's ministry. Thank you for Nathan Myrie, who sits back there in the sound booth all by himself and works both the sound and the video and the lighting and comes in and sets everything up after events on Saturday night that trash our our children's church sound system. Thank you, God, for him. And with... Knowing once God knows that I know, and once I've gotten my own attitude straight by praying about it, about what I'm thankful for and the people that I'm thankful for, then I can creep ever so tentatively into his throne and say, but, but God, not that I'm not happy about what I've got, but for your glory and for the building of your kingdom, God, I beg you, allow us to do more, allow us to do more. Send your laborers to us, God. Work on people's hearts because this is too good. This is good stuff here. And I would be a selfish man if I did not share what you're doing in the lives of these children with other people. Okay, now I've said it. Now I have to live by it myself, right? (laughs) You pray for me, I'll pray for you. And together, love will bring us back around, in the words of Michael W. Smith. All right, so um, that was about the messiest list. I don't like bullet lists very well, but let me go through them again. Recruiting doesn't really work for me. Maybe it works for you. God bless you if it does. Um, But the people God brings don't stop coming. And the people God brings are worth waiting for. Okay, let me just say that. They're worth waiting for. God's working on them right now. Otherwise, they'd be there already. You keep praying for them, he'll keep working on them, and he'll work on you too. Get to know the people you have no business knowing. Give honor to whose honor is due. And even if your sentiment isn't perfect, it matters more that you've done something to honor them. You know, I used to, I got in this big thing one time that I wanted to memorize, and I still do. If I was the perfect children's pastor, I would know how long every single person has been in ministry. And when they tick over to three years and five years and eight years and 10 years, I would give them a progression of plaques and things like that. It's not something I'm able to do right now. But man, I really wanted to back in the day, and I never could, and so I didn't do anything. They don't know. They don't know what you had planned. <laughs> so do something, okay? Better than nothing. Create an enjoyable experience for your existing leaders. That way it'll attract more. Remember, you're going to attract the people that are like you, so don't whine, complain, get bitter, or have an attitude. And give people 100 entry-level positions and give them a thousand time positions. Go ahead and go through the list. What are some things they could do? You know, people come in and they want to work once a month. Don't don't treat those people any different than the people that are there every single day. You know, there's even a Bible story. I don't remember where it is right off the top of my head. But the guys that were working in the field, in the, in the wine press or whatever, whatever, and the guys that had been there eight hours and the guys that were there five hours and the guys that were there one hour, and the, the guy paid them all the same. See, God's not going to treat them any different. Because they're being obedient to what God wants them to do. And even if they're not, at least it's an entry-level position and they can w- work their way up. Okay, Let me tell you about some books that I've been reading. Last time when I was talking to you, I was talking about David Allen's Getting Things Done. And I want to talk about it again because it is still that awesome. It's been all these months later and it still has changed the way. I'm telling you, there has not been a book that has changed the way I work and the way I accomplish things more in my life than getting things done other than the Bible itself, okay? Seriously, I have to say that because of Christian thing, you know. But seriously, getting things done, David Allen. You don't even have to buy the book. I, I want you to. I did after I went online and looked up his concept. There's lots of infographics. There's a whole community out there surrounding getting things done. It's, it's, uh, it's awesome, okay? Um, matter of fact, without me even selling anyone on it, I've had my fellow pastors say, James, there's been such a drastic change in you. The way it's affected every part of your work life, um, we want you to give a presentation and staff. okay? Because you know how it is when you try to sell somebody on a book or a movie. You've got to read this. You've got to watch this. The, ultimate, the automatic thing is people are like, no, 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 no. That's awesome for you, but it's not for me. Um, but seriously, Getting Things Done by David Allen. Check it out. It's perfect, it's awesome. Matter of fact, I might do a whole podcast just on it and how it's worked for me um, because I was one of the most un- unorganized un whatever people in the planet. I did I thought I had it going on okay I thought I was doing good. This thing simplifies it. it works for the most unorganized person in the world, which is me and you okay even if you think you're organized, I'm telling you and I haven't even fully implemented it because now I got to get my files in, in order. So I can find things. But anyway, we'll get there. Um, Have you ever heard of Warren Wiersbe? Warren W. Wiersbe. I've been reading a book that was suggested to me by one of my mentors. It's called On Being a Servant of God. Okay, He's got a whole series on being blah, 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 or on this or on that. But I'm telling you, On Being a Servant of God, I've suggested it to a couple of people one-on-one. And they're having the same problem I am. Uh, the first two months I was reading it, I couldn't get past the first two chapters. It is so dark, not dark, I'm sorry, deep. It is so deep and it's so hard-hitting. You find yourself highlighting almost every other sentence and you can't turn the page until you've memorized and applied some of these hard-hitting facts to your life. You will put the book down and you will walk away from it for fear that you will not apply and memorize and remember Uh, and live out the things that he's telling you about attitude adjustments, about the way you should view things. Um, This man is a man of wisdom, and you need to check it out. Uh, The last book I haven't read yet. Actually, I've read the first chapter maybe, but it's a book by Jim Wideman, Sam Luce, and Kenny Connolly. It's called The Eric Trap. It's a brand-new leadership. uh, Let me see. I've got a copy right here. Uh, It's called The Eric Trap, Five Things Every Leader Has to Get Right, A Leadership Fable. It's also got inputs by Kristen England, Sherry Epperson, Craig, somebody, Deanna Hayes, and Matt McDaniel. Um, I haven't read it yet, but I have, um, I have a copy that I would like to send you. Okay, so do me a favor, email me uh, help. I'm a children help. I'm a CP at gmail.com. Help. I'm a CP at gmail.com, and I will send this book to you. I haven't read it, but the reviews have been amazing. The people that have written it are amazing people. And I had some input, too. I did the artwork for the cover. Very honored to do it. You'll see my little Eric character, not only on the front page, but at every chapter and um, and on the back. So there he is. I got to do my first book cover. I want to send you one. Um, here's what I'll do. When you email me, email me with the Eric trap in the... Um, in the, uh, or not the comments, what do you call it? The, uh, subject line. And I will pick one at random and I will send it out to you via the old snail mail. Okay. And if I get two of them extra, I'll give away two, but I think I've only got my copy and, um, I've already given away one of them, uh, in person to, uh, uh, an outreach church. One of the folks that used to work with me that are now doing, now doing a church plant. And, um, I've got one more to give away. So let me do that. Help. I'm a CP at gmail.com. And in the subject line, just put the Eric trap. Tell me uh, tell me a little bit about yourself. Let's talk and I will I'll send that out to one of you. Um Jeff Robb, uh one of our children's pastor leaders, he wanted to send um a resource. It's called Squishy Bath. Let me spell it for you. S Q U. I-S-H-Y-B-A-F-F.com. Now, I've seen this stuff before. It's the gel powder that you put in water, and it turns it into some sort of uh, goopity-goppity-guck. But then the trick is you put another package of stuff in, and it turns it back into water. Well, somebody has packaged this stuff together, colored it, and um, then they send it uh, – they, they packaged it up, and they're marketing it to kids for their bath water. So I'm actually thinking about getting some. Uh, it's about 19.95. And uh, it makes about the equivalent of four bathtub full. So um, he's saying this turns water into colorful, colorful slishy goo for double dare type games. So, you know, obviously we're not going to use it for baths, um, not without going to jail. Uh, but we can use it for games and fun stuff like that. And it comes in colors, which is something I haven't seen before. I've seen the, the pale, yucky, you know, light gray looking tub of stuff, but I've never seen it in color. And uh, so you match that up with a with some sort of clear uh, giant tub, man. You've got you got it going on. Uh, so that was his input. Let me talk about resources real quick. Um, voiceover work. Have you ever needed voiceover work? Let me tell you why you do. Okay. Um, the other day I made a video for my graduation service and I had some narration I wanted done about my, my guy going down the grand Canyon. And, uh, because the narrator in the video that I took it from, it just didn't match up. I had a point to make. He had half an hour of IMAX film to fill. So I took the, the, um, the, the, uh, video that I needed and I added some sound effects, you know, some water running, rushing water to make it sound like it was still had its own audio track. And then I hired my buddy, His name is John Steinklobber. You can reach him at twitter.com slash J Steinklobber. Let me spell that last name for you. J-S-T-E-I-N-K-L-A-U-B-E-R. Worst name ever. Okay, but it, the benefit is if you type it into Google, it'll fix it for you. Stein S T E I N K L A U B E R John Steinklauber at Twitter.com slash Steinklauber. If you tell him I sent you, he's going to hook you up with some voiceover work. He has a multitude of voices from cartoony all the way to serious. He can do anything from a, from church announcements to camp announcements uh, to 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 uh, anything you could think of. Okay, if you're doing your own podcast, if you need voices for, for uh, puppets or whatever, he can help you. And his name's Jay, John, <laughs> John Steinklobber. Again, Twitter.com slash J Steinklobber. I, I haven't actually told him I'm going to promote him, um, so I don't want to give out his email address. And I And his website is not ready yet. He's brand new, but he's been doing this forever, and I've been encouraging him. So hit him up on Twitter. And tell him you want some voiceover work if you need it. I can't even imagine what you'd need it for. But I'm telling you, I had him do... Um, like a country, not a country, a a Old West style old man voice. you know? Like John made it down the the, uh, Grand Canyon and uh, oh man, he just did an awesome amazing job and it was somebody other than me. Yeah, I could sit down with my recording equipment and I could do voices, but the kids are always going to know in the back of their mind, hey, that's Pastor James doing that voice because they've heard them all because I use them randomly when I'm preaching. It's so good to have somebody else from the outside coming in and doing your voice work. So if you need something like that, hit him up, twitter.com slash J Steinklauber. Guys, I'm going to get out of here. Thank you so much for listening to episode 11. Let me just tell you a little bit real quick. Help I'm a children's is the e- is the address. HelpImACP at gmail.com is how you get a hold of us. You can send us a voicemail, 2095 NLCast. You can follow me on Twitter, twitter.com slash NLCast, Facebook.com slash NLCast, and tell somebody about Help I'm a Children's Pastor. We'll see you guys next time. God bless.